and welcome to Traeger Method Podcast. This is episode 43. My guest today, old friend, returning guest, Pete Kramiak of Verbal Assault, among other bands, groups, and musical projects. Verbal Assault are playing, well, they're scheduled at this point to be doing shows on the East Coast, New England shows um, in September. First time taking the stage in 30 plus years. I remember back before the start of the pandemic, Pete was toying with the idea, and then I saw these shows announced online a year and a half later, and I thought, we got to check in with Pete, find out about these shows, which, as he says in our talk, may very well be canceled because of the rise of the Delta variant. Pandemic fun here. Well, whether the shows happen or not, we get to find out what the what Pete's experience has been practicing these songs again with the guys practicing hanging out in New England in uh, Newport and all that biz. I also get real nerdy with Pete. For you deep cut nerds, you're going to get guitar talk. We're going to talk about amps. We're going to talk about uh, influences. Pete runs down the gallery of DC guitarists that influenced him heavily. It's a good conversation. It veers a lot of different directions. We hear about some teenage jobs, one of my favorite subjects. The conversation is a lot of fun. Before I share it with you, I would like to give a shout out to Tony Retman, Traeger Method Podcast, episode number 35. I spoke with Tony. He recently sent me the Songs of Praise chapbook of his. It's a beautiful object, nicely bound. It's a series of essays about songs that have meant a lot to him. And he writes about them very well. Black Flag, Can't Decide, Dag Nasty, Never Go Back, Jerry's Kids, I Don't Belong, etc. It's touching. It's funny. It's a really great read. Thank you so much, Tony, for sending it to me. I really appreciate it. You can get it from him, No Idols HC. On Instagram, you know where to find him. Tony Rettman. Thank you, Tony. And thank you for listening and for supporting the podcast. Enjoy this conversation with my dear friend, Pete Kramier. What's, what's Zoom's business model? I have an unlimited uh, amount just, in my experience. Like, just prov- provide free zooming for everyone, everywhere, as long as they want. It's cool. How? Yeah. How does that work? Like, how can you make any money <laughs> off of? It? There's no commercials. There's no. Uh, it's yeah, just the. Yeah. <laughs> it's like '80s uh, bootleg phone credit card Xerox sheets from Dave Stein. Oops, delete that name. It's just free, free communication. Did you book verbal assault tours with uh, those numbers, sheet of numbers? A friend from Albany would just pass them out at shows, just Xerox sheets with thousands of, of phone credit card numbers that would work for long-distance calls. And every East Coast punk would use them to book their whole lives. And it, it was kind of like our early internet. <laughs> you were the booker, right? Yeah, yeah, I would do all the booking. Yep. So uh, tell me about these new verbal assault shows I saw on 
Are you booking those? What? Uh, no, those days are over. I'm f- <laughs> and, and I'm, f- God damn it. I'm staying out of that stuff. Jesus Christ. So I remember before uh, lockdown, you know, last March, March before yeah. last, um, that was kind of in the air a little. You were kind of jamming out in the shack, I think. Yeah. And it just went on hold. So what happened? It was um, the uh, those little silly uh, Bernie Sanders videos I made. Oh, yeah. Actually had a little bit of a part in it. Um, uh, let me go back. So Chris, the singer. Chris Of Jones. course, you know that. Yeah, it's Jones. just you and me talking on a phone call. Jones. I'm not going to do this whole podcast routine. <laughs> It's like ridiculous. It's only Martin listening and your mom. Um, yeah, so Chris Chris expressed some interest in it. Uh, this was during the run-up to the 2020 election. Mm-hmm. And that, that was, you know, we were uh, kind of just flail, flailing around, like, what could we possibly do to help this election? My silly Bernie Sanders videos came out, and... Um, Somehow those two things combined, at least in my head, I feel like it's someone else's head too. I guess all our friends in Rhode Island just thought the videos were hilarious. And then when they want you to, to play in verbal assault as as Bernie Sanders. No, but just as an egomaniac, I was like, oh my god, I could actually see, you know, like being the MC of the show and giving like long Bernie Sanders like speeches, but more just. I always pictured this just happening in Rhode Island. So oh, with yeah. just Rhode Island centric topics, you know, like talking about the, how the Dunkin' Donuts on Broadway was closed and just going on like a 10 minute Say thing about in your, in your Bernie Sanders voice. No, I won't do that. <laughs> um, but anyway, so the idea just got some momentum as kind of like a run up to the election kind of thing. Like that'd be cool and, and a worthwhile thing to do and probably be fun. Um, and then I booked a ticket to go practice, and it was right. Um, I can't remember if it was the beginning or the end of March, but it was right when, like the the minute you were, it was obvious you were supposed to not fly across the country. Was the one my ticket was for. <laughs> um, so that got kicked down the road, and um, but we kept, we, you know, we kept in touch about it, and those guys uh, even did some practicing. Uh, with a very generous friend, Ray, who did his best to learn all my parts. And they, they practiced in his studio a few times, and it, it was good. Chris Chris was kind of same old Chris, you know, out, out of practice, but sounded the same and had the same level of rage about the world. Um, very useful. And, yeah, and then I went back last month, and we play, we practiced for a week solid every day, pretty much. And um, it was fucking fun. Sounded great. And uh, and we physically can't play too fast, which was always my complaint back in the day. Like, if I heard any live recording, it was so fucking fast. It was... Way too fast. Yeah, yeah. We were just, you know, we had a lot of energy, and we were very well practiced back then, but... You know, we're a little older and wiser, and and now we're just playing at just the right speed. It sounded like so. Uh, Lock into that Bernie groove. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, then uh, and that that was like three to four weeks ago, and it felt at that moment like 
fuck it, let's do it in September. And then literally as the that momentum was happening and our friend Brian Simmons was trying to set up the shows, uh, it, it was just kind of like the last time when I was going to fly out, like the COVID uh, Delta, the Delta variant news kind of started ramping up like right alongside it. And pretty much the day we announced it, the news kind of made it seem kind of obvious that um, it w- would very likely not happen if things are going the way it looks like they're going. Um, but at that point, the momentum was there and we'd already pushed it off the cliff. So we're going to give it a couple weeks if it, you know, if it seems like it uh, is a terrible idea, we'll we'll probably pull the plug by early September and send out lots of refunds and answer lots of angry emails, heartbroken emails. But um, but yeah, the we have practiced. It was really fun. We all want to do it. And at this point, I have no ego or anything about it. It's just like if we can bring joy to 40, 52-year-old men somewhere out there in the world. I think that's a sure thing. Might as well do it. That's a sure thing. That'll bring joy to a lot of people. I'll I'll give it a whirl. I've had had lots of joyful moments at uh, lots of old compatriots bands reforming and playing and um which one springs to mind uh soul side jawbreaker um soul side was that was a couple of years ago in san francisco we made Bob martin go out of the house yeah martin didn't want to go we dragged him out and he totally had a blast um how were they they were totally fucking great that it was it was and my immediate thought was like, this actually makes a little more sense to me now than it did then. Hmm. Like they're, you know, musically they were always kind of on their own little track and it sounded incredibly unique and fresh and, and topically totally on point. That's what kept, I kept noticing was, yeah. Jawbreaker. I got incredibly emo at, I like teared up a couple of times. Um, uh, there's been several. I will think of them and spout out those bands when it comes to mind. But um, but yeah, the fuck it, I'll just do it. And it's been insanely fun practicing for a year in my COVID basement. How do you do that? What do you practice too? I was just just relearning the songs, and then I thought I had them all down, and then the week before I flew out, I. I played them along with the record and was like, Oh Jesus Christ. It's Cause the, they're just way faster. And um, there was a lot of little stuff going on that I'd forgotten about. Um, but it's just been, you'd played most of those songs when he started practicing again. And last verbal assault show. I, I, I didn't, I didn't really, I mean, I played them so many times by that point. And, um, and I started, I think I started with, Ran like the sound of trains pretty soon after. When did that start? Ah, oh, fuck, I don't know. I, I, um, all the dates I've said on this yeah. podcast have been at least a year it off. Doesn't really matter. Um, ninety-one ish, ninety ish. I don't know. 90. No, it was ninety-two probably. See, and what, um, when was the last verbal song? When was the last time you played those songs? What was that year? That was nineteen ninety-one, and we had been going to school at that point and had been, you know, pretty 
out of the loop for that last solid year, yeah. I think. Um, so yeah, 91 August on the hottest day Newport has ever seen up to that point was the last show. You might be able to beat that if you play a show in September. God, that's 30 years, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I never, it's, I just never really, t- you know, I just, that last show was the last show and we were never going to do it again. Um, that me and Chris always said that, and that was born out of kind of just the cheesy, like band reunions a year after they broke up to make more money kind of thing that would happen a lot back then. We're like, we're never fucking doing that. Yeah. And we stuck to it, but there's got to be a 30 year fucking oh, time yeah. limit on that. Come on. The fact that you guys are also have some fun. I mean, it's this or like join a civil war reenactment society and do that. <laughs> and it's pretty much the same thing. So one has better music, you know, that fife and drum shit's wow. Yeah. Yeah. It is not funky. <laughs> well, did you play the same guitar through your whole verbal assault that, that, yeah. that Gibson's like yeah. Paul's studio? Yeah. It was the only, it was my only guitar for that whole time. And for a, a long time after, and, um, and yeah, when I was in Rain Like the Sound of Trains, uh, these Polish punks came over from Poland, obviously. Um, I think it, it was Ahimsa, I believe was their name at the time. Ahimsa, A-H-I-M-S-A. I, pro- I probably have that wrong now because I'm old and forgetful. But they came over and stayed with me in D.C. for a while. And their their main mission was to, to go find a Les Paul guitar. And so... Um, so I like, you know, got them all in the van and we, we were driving around Northern Virginia. There was a couple of good stores out there. And I was like, so like, what's the, what's the budget? And like, they kind of like looked at each other and then looked at me pretty, pretty like pridefully, like we have $500. And I was like, you ain't going to get, Oh, <laughs> so we looked around and saw a bunch of like, you know, $1,800 guitars. And then when we got back to my house, I was like, well, there's this one and, and sent them off with, with the verbal saw guitar, but I still know them. I can get it if I really need to. Um, I became enamored with, uh, it turns out it was the precursor to that guitar. That's that studio. Les Paul was the first year of the studio, which I never knew this. It was just, they were way cheaper. Les Paul's without all the like Liberace engraving on it. Which yeah, I always, it's just like a stripped down, like just wood. yeah, yeah, it's just a wooden Les Paul, and it, I've I always That's really loved that. Better. Yeah, and then um, yeah, so I bought a Gibson the Paul. It was they made it for the like seventy nine eighty, the kind of the run up to the. It was the idea for the stripped down Les Paul, and it but it's made out of black walnut, which is kind of my favorite wood. That huge tree in the ABC oh, yeah. house that I lived in, you know, in that the shack on abc house a classic olympia group house slash yep. venue yeah yeah it's like a land cooperative somebody offer offer the land cooperative money for that black walnut tree there's this huge black walnut that that strat or not straddled but covers blankets uh, umbrellas the entire backyard it's yeah umbrella. it's a epically magical tree um and yeah, there's there's been people offering stuff, but it's the, I guess the tree I keep hearing is pretty pretty much near the end of its. Oh, no. Yeah, it's sad. But living in that shack with the huge black walnuts like falling on the roof during windstorms was. Pete lived in the Jack Shack. That's what we call. Yep, you named you named that the Jack Shack. <laughs> the Jack Shack. 
there's a um there's been been a bunch of nice people living in there lately and yeah and um the yeah, I, just, I for some reason I've been like, yeah, maybe times have changed, and it's not called the Jack Shack anymore. <laughs> you think <laughs> the Jack Shack didn't stick with the building? Yeah. How, how are your fucking stupid rhyming nicknames so long lasting? It's, for, it's you, you have the dumbest nickname. You make the dumbest nicknames for everything. It's just yeah. the most immediate, like Walls Balls from Walls from the other balls. day. I was like, of course he called it Walls Balls. Walls Balls. One of my favorite, the one I'm most proud of, is um, in junior high school. In Tacoma, there is this kid named Nick DiPolito. I want to try to guess it. Who I liked. His brother, actually, Aaron DiPolito, was a punk. Was it Pito uh, DiPolito? No. Oh, okay. Dick Tip Secreto. <laughs> That's mine. That uh, uh, That's actually more complicated than all your, your nicknames since. Dick Tip Secreto. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God! Who could possibly take that as anything but an honor to have such creativity? Uh, yeah. Anyways, black walnut. It's uh, a, and I got married under that tree, and minutes later got shat upon by a squirrel from that tree during my wedding. So I have a deep history with black walnut, and uh, this these guitars are just fucking beautiful, and um, yeah. So I, I feel like I don't need the. Uh, the backup, the original uh, Polish guitar right now. I could get it if I need it. That's pretty awesome. That's yep. so and cool to think that it lived this whole other life in Poland. Yeah, yeah. and um, It's very generous yeah. of you, too, to not... Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I donated anonymously, just letting you know on this private phone call. <laughs> no one over here. <laughs> wow. So, so that's, um, that's pretty awesome, but the guitar is in good shape. It's, it's in working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. At the, when this was all happening, I got in touch and... You know, got photos and. Didn't you win once the readers poll or twice the readers poll in Flipside of the best punk guitarist? Nineteen eighty nine, Flipside magazine. Yep, best upcoming band was Fugazi. Um, oh, do I have that right here? I might. Oh. Yeah, what? just give me give me a sec here. This is not planned. You seriously just pulled that issue out of where? I, I I make a copy of it every time my daughter posts her report card on the fridge. She she's wicked smart, and it's always like fucking like this, like a, it's better than straight A's somehow. And uh, then I put this. I put a. I have to zero it like three times a year. So you just just, just to be like be like this is what you, listen this is what you have to live up to. And they they kind of know all the characters in it by heart. Um, Flea was the bassist of the year. Can't find it. Flea was the basis of the year, and you were the guitarist. Yeah, how about that? Did you ever, were you ever asked to be in the Peppers? <laughs> no, no, I was not. I, th- I mean, I think it, this was like I always. It, it was. It didn't make any sense because Flipside. I think they literally didn't know who we were for a really long time. Like I, I think they. Kind of see that. And then we, they finally like did a tiny like little snippet of mm-hmm. us like right before this, and I was like, oh, they figured out who we are. Um. We would get confused for verbal assault, uh, verbal abuse often. Oh God, that was always an issue. Yep. Best uh, album. Seven seconds tour that we went on together. Yeah. I think you were billed as verbal abuse about a third of the times. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely a third. The um, best album was Op Ivy. Oh, good one. 
Best new band. Number two was Nirvana. That's awesome. There's some funny ones. Uh, ass, asshole of the Year. Uh, Ray, your hand Ray, Ray Capo. Ray of today. Yeah. Role Model, G.G. Allen. <laughs> <laughs> it was Role Model is G.G., Ian, and Michael Board. So you can see this is a legit and this is a legit and very serious honor that was bestowed upon me by okay. Dana Mahoney and two other people from Orange County because I really don't think they just got many votes this year. Hey, man, it's Anyways. in print for eternity. Yeah, yeah, it's it's served me well as a parent. <laughs> yeah, right. Defense against the egghead. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. The um, the trip to Rhode Island was was a uh, really. I hadn't been back to Newport in the summertime in like twenty some years. Holy crap! Holy crap is what I kept saying. Because did you go out on a boat? Sorry, what were you going to say? No, never made it on a boat. I didn't even fucking go swimming. It was uh, the first couple of days were a tropical storm. So I left the fucking heat dome that we had here. Oh, wow. Lucky you. And went right into a tropical storm. And I was just, yeah. So all my, like, all my initial chats with people I hadn't seen in 20 years was just climate doom talk. That was really pretty fun. Much, it's pretty much in every conversation I have nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, are you guys smoked in right now? No, not smoky. We have, God, the clouds are trippy right now. The, we have all the smoke is here, but it's above us. Oh, so it's just giving you a sunglasses effect. Yeah, yeah. So you all know, the I gotta check the numbers here because uh, it did seem a little like the sunglassy out there. A little yeah. bit of an amber. I'm gonna look at the numbers right now and crunch them. Yeah, that, that's you could do that later, and or you could post it as the the image for this podcast. The, uh, How's the podcast the, going, the by the numbers? way? Yeah, killing it. Nice. I I might be the only person that has listened. This is embarrassing, but I've listened to every one, I think. Oh, no. I've got people who've listened to every one. No, they just say that. I've actually Mother done it. Mother dear. Yeah. Mother has listened to it every single episode. I figure it's just your mom. She thinks I'm the best podcaster of all. <laughs> Mother will be very cross with you. for. I've got, I've got the core. Yeah. Uh, um. Weather. You've had totally fantastic guests lately. Oh, thank you. I mean, I mean I'm so glad. Yes, I agree. Yeah. One of my air quality is 65. It registers as moderate here. Yeah. Uh, not, it's not good. Yeah, it's not good. We're we're all burning up and dying. But it's nothing like flipping last year. That horrifying week where I couldn't leave the apartment. That was that was that was the shittiest week of yeah apocalypse. during a pandemic. You're closed in your house and there's just like the thickest blanket of death smoke everywhere oh it's horrible so it was claustrophobic and and trump was president oh yeah to, I mean, like telling us to like rake the leaves it was like yeah it was like i'm starting to think this guy isn't cool i read a thing today that just made me go oh my god like there's so many angles on everything climate catastrophe you know? Yeah, and I read this article that was just a just a thing in the Oregonian that was like, "Oh, Forest Park is just this tinderbox waiting to go, and it's like the biggest urban park, urban forest in America, and you know it's just huge, expensive houses all up through there. The whole thing could just go up like a flipping matchbox." Yeah, man, I'm just driving around. I mean, I live right next to Olympia's biggest park, and it's you know, um, it's thirty feet away. Yeah. Um, yeah, the house I'm building right now is on a very wooded island. The um, 
yeah, all my drives now are just like just looking at every mile of you know the Pacific Northwest. The way things are going is is fucking scary, man. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, the, um, I had a weird. This was a couple months ago. I was uh, my first two years in college was in D.C. at George Washington University, which um, I made great friends. I really hated the school. It was just um, they just had lots of weird professors f- from high level government positions, um, and they usually weren't cool. And uh, the one I was thinking about the one that I really liked. Uh, who taught my environmental geography class, which was a mind-blowing class. It was the, you know, up to that point, I'd been a science fiction nerd, you know, like just assuming I would turn into Charleston Heston on the beach, you know, like yeah, they did it. They, the fuckers did it. <laughs> and um, and I'm, I, I still feel like I'm on track to reach my goal. Hestonian. Uh, yeah. And, um, and, and from my, just from a young age, I've been kind of obsessed with climate stuff. I, as soon as I figured out the greenhouse effect, I was like, oh, this is bad. And I've just kind of fixated on it. And, you know, verbal salt would pass out environmental literature all the time. Yeah. And I worked for Greenpeace when I lived in D.C. and right. blah, blah, blah. And now I build super energy efficient greenhouses. And so it's just been a constant fucking thing in my mind. That's why um, I always called you the climate creep. Yeah, the climate creep is what you've always referred to me as. And then the, so I was thinking back to this, the one professor I really liked at GW. There was a couple others. Um, and I, I, you know, Google searched him. It fucking turns out he's like now a high paid no. climate denier. No. And his whole spiel is that it's all due to like volcanic gases. Oh you know coming from like the oceans and it and it's not man-made and it, and it's like the most like the the i mean if you could just fucking peek into his checking account yeah it's so fucking gross so and it, it it just i i feel like it was during that week yeah when we were all smoked in and uh, you know i was like you know trying to talk to my kids about it and i've i've mentioned this class to them a bunch before so it might have been during that week when i looked this up and found out that my one like you know the first professor i had that kind of spilled it all out you know uh it was a total fucking just paid off climate denier now madness yeah so wild you know the thing that's crazy about that to me is like i mean obviously science you know people believe it or they don't but the thing that's like on a gut level like as a kid like i used to just look at you know some i'd be at some like mall parking lot in you know like Northgate in north seattle and you just look around you and go every direction there's just cars sitting yeah. at stoplights and in parking lots and every single street you drive on is cars and you just sit in traffic forever and just everywhere and then you yep. think then you just try to like extrapolate like the level, the, the scale of what, what that is. Yep. Every single suburb in every American city. And that's just America. Then there's China and there's yeah. no emissions. Exactly. Go, exactly. Like who on a gut level wouldn't feel like, well, of course it's changing things and that's just cars. Yeah. That's not shipping and the military and, and coal fired power plants. That's none of those things. It's like, you go yep. like, I mean how that couldn't, and you burn like, 
millions of years worth of these things in the course of a century. It's like, yep, like yeah, it's fake. That's not that's not going to affect anything. It's like what the fudge? No. Yeah, remember how when we were kids, you could like if your mom was in the supermarket, you could go in or just stay in the car. Yeah, I remember having a really clear moment. I was where where I kind of put it together, just sitting in the car. It was cloudy. The sun came out for a little bit. The car heated up. You know, you crack the window a tiny bit and it cools out quickly. But it was right around when I had kind of like, you know, seen the charts of the greenhouse effect. And I was like, oh, you just have this contained airspace and it, it can get affected, you know, really quickly with a, you know, just a influx of sunlight that's trapped and it heats up. Yeah. very quickly you can cool it really quickly if you fart in the car it, you know it's a small fart but it makes a huge effect and i and i, I had i had this weird so I, I i would have this weird effect driving home where i'd be thinking about the car as a little you know ecosphere and then i'd be looking at everyone's tailpipes you know waiting for the the red light to turn and i'd be just thinking about the atmosphere outside yeah Then I go home and skateboard. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, like, as kids, you, I mean, like, I think sometimes, you know, this poetry written by teenage punk kids, you know, we're 13 years old, 15 years old. It's like, mm -hmm. often saw the problems very clearly because you're just sort of going, well, doesn't that not make sense? <laughs> yeah. Isn't that stupid? Really? Like, I, doesn't yeah. everybody see that? And it's really, like, it's so fucking obvious how the world works. You know, it's like, yeah, yes, that's stupid. And it's obviously unsustainable, but that's what we do. And we're going to keep doing it because yep. that's what we've always done since yesterday, but we don't have any knowledge of history. So we don't even know when it started or we just blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I don't know. I'm not feeling uh, super positive about a lot of the human race, but um, that's nothing new. Yeah. It's not a new thing. But yeah. yeah it's a very intense thing. And I think it's good to talk about it because I have to work through it myself. Like, you know, just constantly. Whenever you and I take a walk, it's all we talk about is. Yeah. It's just, yeah. It's a pretty gloomy chat usually. Can't. But yeah. We also talk about ill repute's first seven inch. Yes, we do. Yeah. <clears throat> and <laughs> other shit. Um, tell me this. There's something I wanted to ask you to talk about on air because I remember I talked with Sean Kelly about jobs we used to have, and I oh, always I always remember that was this, one of the funniest episodes yet. Oh, thank you. I mean, Sean thanks you. Um, he doesn't. You told me a story once about a, a chowder house you worked in <laughs> on the pier in in a, yeah Newport or probably yeah. where was it? Yeah, it's on Bannister's Wharf in Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, <laughs> called the black pearl and it has a kind of pirate ship you know wooden carved sign and uh yeah the whole kind of waterfront you know around downtown newport is just all these little wharfs and there's all these you know very uh colonial looking uh buildings that are you know tons of restaurants and scrimshaw shop shops and um saltwater taffy stands how old is newport when did it when what are the oldest buildings from um, sick. There's some 1600 stuff. I mean, it, it was you know Plymouth Rock was just a little bit north, um. So it was it, one of the. 80. Yeah, it's I, I forget my years, but um, yeah, like you know, I George Washington slept on my street, stuff like that. Pretty common. Did the cops make him move? Um, no, no, he was, 
he was pretty popular. Um, but yeah, the Newport is a, is a trip. There's like all these, like there's all these historical sites that <clears throat> you walk by as an adult and you're like, and you sort of get the meaning. There's this one, uh, really old tree in this little kind of corner park that I would walk by every day to school up till, uh, up till eighth grade. And, uh, yeah, it was the main slave slave market. Uh, you know, literally where you just stand under that tree and buy and sell slaves. Um, yeah, Newport, I mean, Newport's a lot of things, but yeah, the history, um, gotten more and more curious there's some famous well not very famous but there, i just discovered that the little beach stretch i would play on there was some known like viking rock that was inscribed that i probably sat on five thousand times and never noticed it didn't know about viking it. inscription yeah I, I learned this like two years ago that it had like a couple like viking marks on it like right in front of my house almost like a what? block over yeah then you were a kid and you didn't know no, I know. My parents there every day. I don't know what my parents were doing. What were they doing all those years? It was like swingers. They might that's what I'm thinking. I think it might have been a swinger situation. It's the uh swing scene that like that I just saw Ian Mackay while I was in Rhode Island. Oh, he why was, was he there. Uh you know, he goes to Guilford, Connecticut every summer. Oh yeah. Uh so he was he was dropping his dad off and he was visiting uh my dear friends Ted and Jody magically like a magnet i happened to show up at the exact same moment i wasn't can't no i wasn't camped out waiting for it because i heard rumors of it i I just it was a coincidence and it just happened and um but they were uh, when i came in they were talking about the significance of pineapples as a sign for swingers houses oh and i thought um i'm not sure of the region but i thought like Ian can fuck with you on pretty deep levels. Yeah. And I was like, I think he's fucking with me because the pineapple is, it's like a, it's a very known symbol for Newport because, oh. you know, all the maritime captains would come back with pineapples and it was such a mind blowing event that people were like, this is our fucking symbol, this magical fruit. So all over Newport, you'll see like carved pineapples everywhere and, and usually around doors. And but Ian's like, Ian, that. no, he wasn't. He, the, I haven't had time to Google this. Um, I'll, I'll Google it. And I'll, I sent him the thing about Newport being a pineapple centric place. But um, it, yeah, my, my job all through high school was delivering flowers and I knocked on a lot of doors. Never did I do any swinging <laughs> when I was in Newport. I was wondering if I missed signs. I've been thinking back to every delivery. Like, did I did I miss a chance? You were offered Kool Aid. So tell me, get back to the uh, the clam chowder shack. Oh yeah, that's so where the story started. Yeah. So the black. Pro- yeah. So the summers of I think it was eighty two and eighty three. Pretty sure, was, for some reason, I remember Jimmy Delanoy as being the conduit into the into the black pearl kitchen. So Jimmy Delanoy was a fellow skater. I think he was, a, yeah, he was a year older than me. Um, so he had already worked in the black pearl kitchen for a year is how I remember it. So he was already in. And so he got all like our whole fucking half of our skate crew. Yeah. We were the dishwashing crew for the black pearl. I think maybe Johnny Davis was already a prep cook. 
So maybe a couple of them had, had, had jobs the year before there. Anyways, that we had like, we were in. Um, so it was just us and George Lopes, this really, really funny, uh, old little, um, I mean, it looked like a character from a movie, um, kind of lifer dishwasher. Um, and he was a very early model of like, you know, if your life goes a certain way, you could just be a dishwasher forever. Yeah. Um, and he was cool. Um, totally. He liked us and kind of even started getting into the, the music. He was like, he was probably 50. Um, the, all the other skate punks worked at the landing, which was, it was only one wharf over, but it seemed like a world away. Like, like that's the name of your biography. One wharf over, but one wharf away. Ways. Yeah. Yeah. There was huge rats on these wharfs. Chris, Chris Jones will always tell the story of like standing outside on break and some little tourist kid being like, mommy, mommy, look at the dog. <laughs> and then everyone looks and it's like, that's not a dog. It's and a just a massive mutant rat. And like everyone screams and, do you have nutrias there or is it just rats? No, the rats, the, I don't think the rats would put up with them and they're big enough to defend them. But um, yeah, so there was a lot of, you know, skate skateboard related hijinks in the kitchen. Um, but yeah, the, the chowder, there's a lot of chowder, a lot of chowder stories. Um, my famous one was uh, drop, you know, trying to do the hand cart and I, I didn't really know how to use the hand cart yet. And I had like, three five gallon buckets of frozen shrimp on ice Oh God! and i was trying to get it you know the cooler is across the the wharf from the restaurant so i had to get across the asphalt wharf with the yeah. thing and fucking dropped all three buckets uh, on the asphalt was it a hot day like hot it was asphalt? insanely hot and where like the ice was like immediately melting and the it was i, I felt a like a total loss like you can't scoop it up in no, front of everybody no it wasn't it was uh yeah, because it's literally in between the restaurant and where everyone's eating. And I was just scooping them up, putting them back in the buckets. And, you know, maybe we said something like, oh, well, I guess this is a, you know, this is a loss for the restaurant or something. But yeah, as we you. knew, we knew those were getting cooked. And then um, it's a lot of money. Uh, yeah. I would also take the hand truck up the wharf to the dry storage and I would have to load up the snows. God, I want, this could be a libel thing. <laughs> Fuck it. I can beep out the name of the restaurant if it's still there. No, no, this is well, you it's know if they haven't experience. It's tr- it's a yeah. If they haven't changed them. these practices, We're talking about thirty years ago. Too. This is a public service. I, I would take the hand truck all the way up the wharf to the little dry storage area. I'd load up the hand truck with Snow's clam chowder, and I would have to put towels over the boxes so no one would see that that their New England's famous chowder was actually Snow's chowder but with just more butter and some actual clams added and more so, salt so, probably. So this was a famous wharf, New England's well, famous clam chowder. I remember that being actually a, just snows out of a can. I remember that being, yeah, like an emblem, like New England's best chowder voted, you know, yeah. it was snows with a couple of, maybe some fresh parsley or something. Sure. Which I mean, it was good. Yeah, um, sure. Snow's pretty good. Yeah. The, I, I feel like the story you're, you're remembering is that, Johnny D, pretty sure it was Johnny D, and maybe Jimmy. There was a chowder pot that was was uncleanable. You know, it had been left on. It was it was burnt, baked burnt on, milk. and you know, we'd run it through the the industrial washer and then like chisel away at it. And it was so deep you couldn't really get any leverage to hammer at. Burnt and uh, and so yeah, we just it, we you know we just sort of had like a Viking burial for it behind the restaurant and just tossed it into the 
into the bay and you know watch it kind of float away for a while and eventually tip and fill up and sink and it's still down there how many chowder pots are down there today i wonder yeah there could be a lot um yeah so tell me about practice do you have any other en stories from that meeting no it was quick they were they were just coming through and then i yeah i i literally horned in on ted and jody's like one hour with ian perfectly and um Tell me Maybe not for Ian. them. Maybe yeah. they wanted to talk to Ian without all my Rhode Island, Rhode Island swinger pineapple talk. Well, tell us about practicing. What was that like getting together with these guys that you played with? Who, who's in the band now? Like, what's the lineup? It's the you know the main what I can the main uh, the main trial lineup. Yeah. So Doug Ernest, Dylan Roy, awesome. Chris Jones, and myself. Wow, that's great. Yeah. Um, it so was, was it like playing with those guys. It was fun. I, I hadn't played and played with a loud amp and a drummer in like 25 years. Whose amp did you use? It, the, it's the Mesa Boogie from Trial. Our oh, friend, wow. yeah, our friend Mark Thomas has smartly started. Well, I don't. He's uh, he's just been collecting all the historical amps from uh, from Newport. Hardcore history. I think. I think he has the Super Sergs Super Reverb, the Vicious Circle amp, um, which is the first real amp I ever played out of. Um, but yeah, so it, we just plugged in. I, I barely twiddled the knobs and just started playing, and it was it was pretty instantaneous. Chris, you know, he wasn't like full tour form, but he was. He sounded fucking really good. Um, and and. Uh, yeah, we just we'd play for like practiced I think six times in seven days for three hours at a time in this like tiny unventilated <laughs> garage during and the whole week was like kind of you know post tropical storm hot muggy muggy and foggy and yeah the like when I walked in I was like oh I forgot about this part of practicing <laughs> major crash rot within like fifteen minutes didn't matter nice yeah. Um, so yeah, there's not a whole lot to report. It was really fucking fun. Yeah, I I don't know why I don't I don't know how I got so far away from playing. Well, I do know, but yeah, I got very far away from playing music with humans, and uh, it was really fun to do it. When was the last time you played with people before Verbal Assault? Uh, it was I was playing with. William Goldsmith, when I moved out here a lot, you sang on some of those songs. Oh, yeah. Um, and then Lois. So those two things kind of went out concurrently. So it was like 2001, 2002. And you've really just put the guitar away? Do you have an acoustic that you play or something or anything? Or do I don't really. So right, right around then, yeah, right. 2002 was when I started building our first house. Um, and you know, shit was just packed up, and I left all my electric stuff in Williams' basement in Seattle. Have I told this on your podcast? I've told oh, this story before. It doesn't matter. We're just two guys talking on the phone. Don't matter. Um, anyways, all my amps and everything was in Williams' basement up in Kirkland, and then he wound up moving away. Um, I was, you know, we had. St- kind of just stopped playing i got sucked into building my first house and mary was pregnant and uh i didn't have room to put anything um so 
when we moved into that house, I figured like, oh, this will be great. I'll have time to play guitar and just watch the baby. And Willa, my first daughter, fucking with it, just hated me playing guitar. As soon as she could crawl, she would crawl over and like slap it and be like, shut up, like come back into the room with me. You know, like Whoa, I think she'd, she'd see me like drift off to another world and she'd shut me down. And then she would, you know, the babies are always like pushing everything. And so the guitar just got put in the case and then, and then, and then I got sucked into construction. Ten years went by, and then we were adding on to that house because Mary was pregnant again. Not ten years, seven, six years. So then there was another. You know, the house is a clusterfuck. Everything gets put further away into storage, and um, and then that turned into a long time. And then we built the house that we live in now, and that process was repeated. And yeah, I just I'm not a I'm not the kind of musician that just has to noodle around on guitar by himself in his room. Like I, like for me, the, the exciting part has always been playing with other people and yeah. playing in like, you know, if you come up playing in hardcore bands in the early eighties, like it's a f- electric fucking activity that has a lot of meaning. And I just never turned into a musician that had to noodle around. So, so yeah, I, and the whole time in Olympia, I've, besides the uh, year or two I was playing with Lois and touring with her um, I didn't have a band so I wasn't noodling no noodles yeah who were your favorite guitarists back then when you started playing uh, I think Did it's you think about guitarists or were you just weren't well the, the yeah the ones I would play over and over again that I definitely kind of studied just in a not in any kind of, you know, the, the guitarists that I wanted to be were Dr. No <laughs> from the Bad Brain set. That never transpired. Uh, and then it was all DC. Tom Lyle from Government Issue was a huge influence. Um, those early Government Issue albums, I, they, there's just something about his fucking playing. It's very straightforward. I think, I didn't know how to do it early on, but I think I... Well, maybe maybe I never got there because Verbal Salt was always pretty pretty busy. Um, but Tom would actually just let a fucking chord play out and let everyone else do the work. And I I I hear that now. So like the song "Jaded Eyes" is to me like the most perfect song ever written by a hardcore band. smart at that point he just would play a few chords and let his insane rhythm section just do all the work and it it's just the most it, it was a 
that was a tra- that was a transfer yeah that was to me that was a transformational moment when i first heard that album um because i realized the not everyone had to do everything all the time i don't know if i took that lesson but yeah yeah but he he and and the earlier government show albums he just had so many just fucking awesome heavy riffs and um and then brian baker totally obvious that brian baker was a huge influence on me and then michael hampton what album by brian baker was most influential um or record can i say you know that was that was just the the to this day probably the coolest hardcore record especially guitar wise that has happened um he just had the yes fresh super fresh super uh i think what i picked up from him the most besides like playing the bar chord but then also letting the high strings ride in the background like the kind of having the two things going on at once was just as like he he has just a really early on he had a just a beautiful rhythmic thing uh kind of eddie van halen-ish where like it seemed like he was playing drums and guitar at the same time yeah um i i always loved that about it and he just fucking has written a lot of fantastic songs um but that that one record you know that was that was the target um and then when it came out i remember thinking when that i heard that record i was like this is gonna this kind of music's gonna be big like it's gonna be yeah like you could see oh you know even though like that wasn't one of those breakthrough records commercially wise commercial in terms of its commercial yeah i and you know we had been we had been playing shows with them uh i think before that came out we played with them a good amount all over the east coast um i don't know I actually can't remember how many times, at least a half a dozen, maybe 10, even maybe more. I hang out with Roger and Colin a lot. Roger and I, I remember a couple of funny road trips with Roger. Um, anyways, the, and my, live in Portland. Yeah. Colin does live in Portland. Um, my wife, uh, <laughs> that's another story. Uh, the, and then Mike, Mike Hampton, the embrace album was the other kind of huge, uh, huge push in a different direction guitar wise for me. So yeah, it was, you know, like DC's top guitarists. I've realized, uh, also listening. Um, I've been listening to, um, I've been listening to a bazillion podcasts, but the, um, you know, the discord one, what the fuck's it called? Is it called? No, I don't want to get it wrong. Um, uh, I'm just going to say that Chris ball deserves a fucking huge mention too. often for his bass playing. Um, I, I I feel like I picked up a lot of tips from him on what to do playing music. Um, but often like the embrace album, like the bass playing that album is, it's so ingrained in my brain that it's kind of, uh, I feel like it's informed my guitar playing a lot too. Um, I got to listen to that. Yeah. And on end is the podcast I'm talking about. Um, yeah. 
uh, it's like four hours. Each episode is four hours, and it's uh, the two dudes talking sometimes for like up to three hours. And it's about a specific album or something. Yeah, it's it's well, it's often they'll do a check in of like just what's going on. I feel like I know these guys. I'm sure I've met Brian. We lived together in D.C. at the time. Um, it, um, I, I feel like I know them at this point because I've listened to them discuss their lives so much. Um, but yeah, they are not afraid of a long intro. And um, and then the last hour will often be like an interview. The, the last one I listened to was with Guy, and it was fascinating. Um, I listened to one with him, and uh, it's called something about emo. What was it called? We're just two old men trying to remember names of podcasts. Something emo. Washed up emo, probably. Washed up emo, yeah. That was, I think that was the first time I'd ever heard a Guy uh, podcast. Yeah. Yeah, they don't do many, but listen to the end on N1. It was fascinating. I had forgot. I had learned something that I had forgotten, that there was a period that, and there was a name for it, like the grand something. But I think it was Ian's idea where just everyone, like, everyone was just going to share musically with everyone else. It was just like this like idea that was floating around DC for a while. This is probably like maybe during revolution summer or the, the run up to revolution summer. Um, I can't remember what it was called. The grand fucking something. It was that the grand fucking something, but um, yeah. So, and, and like, so there was, was lots of something, like something something it was just this idea that you would share your knowledge the grand union maybe or uh, maybe something the grand i don't know i'm 52 i'm definitely going to be forgetful pretty soon well more forgetful see i can't remember when i'm forgetful <laughs> um but yeah and then you and then it, it was just i i think i remember hearing about the concept and thinking it was really cool and then there were moments like a beef eater would often have like kind of guest people come on, um, you know, they'd play on songs. And I think yeah. that was, maybe it was a Tomas thing. Mm-hmm. I could totally see that being a Tomas thing. Um, yeah, uh, like Nikki, Nikki played on a couple songs with Beefeater and uh, Amy did too, I think. And, and so it, it just sparked this, this memory. Nikki Thomas, Amy Pickering. Yep. Yes, um, but it was uh, like, oh yeah, whatever happened to that? I I wish they would do a whole. It's called YouTube. Well, I I, I want to see all these podcasts need to do deep dives on these interesting little facets at this point because there's not much left to talk about. Oh yeah, well I'm going to talk to Ian and here in a few episodes and okay, uh, ask him about the pineapples for me. The pineapples in the Grand Union. Yeah. Um, Ian now has the superpower of being able to. I can send his journal entry to you immediately from any day that you hung out with him. Jesus. So after we were talking about pineapples, he was pineapples. texting me later that day. And somehow we were talking about the, the, when we recorded learn, this is in like 85, we recorded our, our first record with Ian. Um, and, and just from talking about it, I started having all these like just memories of that day that, have been sitting in my brain for like 40 years now. Mm-hmm. And I, and I was like, yeah, we, I remember we took a break and this is me talking to Ian. I was like, we, we took a break. We went to Denny's and, and you and Chris gotten a little tiff cause you were just eating a salad and, 
and we were like, are, are you not going to get anything else? And you're like, no, nah, I kind of stopped eating meat. Um, and, uh, and Chris, Chris Jones, not able to help himself was like, did a protein argument with Ian, like, Oh, you need to eat meat for protein. And Ian was like, you know, first of all, you're a, you know, you're a small child and I'm a grown man and I'm fucking being a vegetarian. And for all these reasons, and he kind of gave us the whole, not, not like you should be a vegetarian talk. He was just like, this is why I'm doing it and fuck your protein argument. And, uh, and I, I took it to heart and I was already like, you know, looking at my like grilled cheese sandwich with bacon or something, just like, Oh no, this is my last grilled cheese with bacon. (laughs) And, and, you know, he, he shut Chris up pretty quick and, um, yeah, came home from that trip and had one more uh, wonton soup at my favorite Chinese restaurant. And then I, yeah, I was pretty much vegetarian. Yeah, the meat shoes. Um, but the point of my story is that Ian can fucking text you five minutes later with the actual journal entry from that day. This is all part of this archiving project. Yeah. I've been working on with the woman from the university. Yeah, yeah. And it's... Well, it's not mine to read on a podcast, but it's it's like a fucking superpower because he not only does it spark all these other minutiae memories, like he had he had jury duty the next day, and I kind of remember there being a time pressure, but I but I, it's just like these little things in your brain that it reawakens. It's incredible. He said he sent me a few of these things from different just random days when I came down to visit D.C. to check out George Washington University. Um, he sent me something from that day and I could remember where I parked in front of this liquor store in Georgetown. It's so weird. Um, The thing I want to ask him about is I remember when I came to the discord house, the first time there was this little tiny flyer in the office that I had drawn for this band that I was, it wasn't really a band, but it's called the deprived. It was just this more of an idea than a band. And it was this image of a skull and it had a pentagram, upside down pentagram, and it said six six six, you fuckers. <laughs> the deprived. And it was it was like a little quarter page just that you had drawn? Piece of art, yeah, that I drew. It was like an and advertisement you, for my band. And you mailed it in. Yeah, when I ordered from Discord. I feel like that's still there, isn't it? Well, I don't know, but I, I'm gonna ask Ian about that. But I remember walking in there and like with seven seconds, like in eighty-six. First time I'd ever been in the Discord yeah. office and just seeing my art that I'd sent in probably three years ago. Yeah. And Being it's like, weird. Oh but my God, it's hanging up on the walls in the office. And he's like, oh yeah, that thing's so weird. We just put it up. It's probably still there because when you go into the actual little office, all the shit that, I mean, I haven't been there for several years now, but the whole time I'd visit, you know, over 10 years, it was the same shit taped to the wall. It was just like he taped the first things to the wall and the, I'm guessing they're still there. Like, um, Tattoos. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, if that was up, it is probably still up. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'll have to ask. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm really excited. to. I'm hopefully going back uh, in September if those verbal assault shows happen, obviously for those at the end of it. But I'm taking Willa, my 18-year-old, back for like a couple of weeks. And we're just going to probably start in D.C. and go up the coast and you ever been to DC before? No, no, it's been like, you know, Oh, we'll go this year kind of thing. And now she's going off to college. So this is my last chance, you know, as a somewhat child. That where, were the, child. Um, where were the shows going to be? If they, if they do happen, these shows, uh, Providence, just Providence, yeah, Providence and Boston. Uh, I, I was, uh, it, it's, 
you know, you can't please everyone. So there's lots of upset people already. Um, And with COVID, we already look like assholes because we announced it, you know, that um, it said, (laughs) it said by request of the band, everyone has to be vaccinated. I don't exactly remember saying that, Brian Simmons, but, um, but that's the, there's definitely the spirit of it. We're, we're all very pro vaccine. And so the people complaining, like, oh, I don't want to get the vaccine, but I want to see real salt. It's like, you're exactly who we want. You know, <laughs> get the vaccine and come join us. Um, but the, I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't even think through all the fucking internet arguing you'd have to do about oh. vaccine stuff. There are some people that can't get the vaccine, yes. and I, I didn't think that through. And that, that's a mind fuck because they're, uh, you know, I didn't. That was a fuck up on our part, not thinking through people that actually can't get the vaccine for medical reasons. Um, I'm a 52 year old carpenter. I don't, I haven't, we're not perfect. I, I mean, it's going to be a miracle if the show's happened with COVID. Um, yeah. What were we talking about? Um, Where are we? The, well, um, Ian, keep doing that for a few more. Yeah. The, talking, uh, yeah, yeah. talking about, uh, Oh, the walls at the Discord office. Yeah, yeah. The I, I got to run my the website for my uh, green home building company. My daughter just redid, and um, we already have the we've had the idea for a long time. But I got to ask Ian if it was cool. I wanted to have one whole page of just pictures of Ian giving interviews in front of. There's probably a dozen interviews with Ian in front of the bare walls in um, what's what would be the dining room of the house that I, he made me strip off all the wallpaper um, back in the eighties um, strip off all the wallpaper. And I stripped off all the paint from the wood and kind of restored the windows. Didn't really know what he, what I was doing, but Joey P and uh, John Hansen kind of, I don't know why they bailed, but they were doing it and then they kind of bailed Maybe they saw like fresh meat because I was hanging around all the time doing like the car- the discord recycling, the cardboard recycling. Mm-hmm. And they bailed for some reason. And like Ian's like, well, it's all yours now. And and I had to like refurbish the whole downstairs of discord. And I was like, oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. He's like, ah, you'll figure it out. Did Christine Blot help you? I remember once going over there and she was working on the walls. Were all- oh, did she? A picture of that actually. Picture of her working there. God, I feel a couple. I remember like a German punk helping for a couple of days. That that maybe, God, maybe she did for a tiny bit. I just remember that. Um, I can't, I can't swear to that. Um, uh, yeah, but that I kind of blame that moment as kind of, kind of turning me on my current path as a. Because after that, when I was finally done, you know, I, all of a sudden I had a van and I was a guy with the van and tools. And then, you know, my last months in D.C. were just doing little fix-it-up projects. And, um, That's kind of what started the whole process. And I, I've always suspected, you could ask, no, I'll ask Ian about this. I figured Ian was like, yeah, Randall Center Trains probably isn't going to be commercially viable. And this kid's going to need a, like a true source of income. I figured that might be a like sub motivation. Like, why didn't he do that to me? <laughs> well, uh, I'm, you know, you'll probably yeah. double. You'll probably double your listenership. To, you know, on his. 
So, so that'll be mother, Martin, (laughs) me, you know, plus three other people. I say that lovingly. He he comments to me often on the show. Nice. Fucking Madison. With the Mark Sperry stuff. That was, we, uh, we shouldn't even start talking about all the old podcasts because I've, I've so many fucking questions. That one was was fascinating, and I I just feel like there's a like he's gonna Mark Sperry's gonna come on at some point, right? I would hope so. Okay, are you holding something back right now? No, no, I do not have any okay. anything. To- That's the only way this can end is he'll, he'll eventually come on. There's another person I want to talk to, Bucky Sinister. Do you know who he is? He's like a stand-up comedian, old-school punk. He um, is writing a book about Lance Hahn and Jay Church, I've heard. Oh, nice. And I want to interview him about that book. And he also has a uh, Mark Sperry connection that's pretty – he has a lot of stories. So yeah, that's coming up in a future episode, too. I, I just need to get in touch with him and make it happen. I, it, there, was, there was a few moments where you're like – I was like – I almost felt bad because it, it's yeah. – and you kept bringing it up, but I just want to fucking know the rest of the story. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, and I never, I, I feel like maybe you played it for me, or if I had any any knowledge of this, it was through you. But I never heard the band, and I, I only had a glimpse that there was a dude that was like ronzing it up pretty hard <laughs> in, in San Francisco. And, uh, and so, yeah, that was another one of those moments where I just want to know more. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, I was very, I tried to be so like clear that like I'm just interested in this because it is so extreme. But yeah. like, I totally relate to it and I relate to having things in my yeah. past, creative things that I go, ugh, I wince in. And if that's the case, or also just like development stages and different ways of doing things. But I also had this feeling like, with time, it's actually pretty interesting like to do a thing where I, it's kind of very futuristic to be like, I'm just yeah. going to do this thing that I like and have it just be my version of this, this guy's thing. Mark Sperry, if you're out there listening, we just want to know how you turned out and hope you turned out okay. Did, did the, the bad news option, was that disproven? Yeah, um, Eugene Robinson. That's right. I also definitely want to have on this pod. Uh, yeah, full episode. Such he a, is interesting. Such a legend, and just completely—it's almost like God. You could do a whole podcast series with Eugene Robinson. He was in Whipping Boy, right? Whipping Boy, Oxo. yeah. There was a Whipping Boy, Clip Boys, uh, a Whipping Boy, and the Clip Boys show in at the living room, and it was, it was, it was a pivotal show. Like no, I don't think anyone had any other their records um all the newport skaters bought clip boys seven inches and like clip boys was written on everyone's skateboard like for a a couple summers and and that show was it was epically like it was kind of scary and and fucking interesting and it it wasn't like any other show and they were they were like barely known bands and and their both sets were riveting like most people you know, get bored when they don't know the band. And I remember both sets being like, everyone was fucking totally into it. And, and, uh, and yeah, the whipping boy record became the 12 inch became a, a really big thing in our, in our scene. And something about, I, I, for some reason, I remember, uh, uh, it was, it was Paul, Paul Eckhart, these 
these two twins, um, good skaters. Fucking, they're I think they're two years younger than me, maybe, but they were just like you know, just like fucking funny knucklehead twins. And yeah, I remember that running into one of them, and he popped a skateboard up, had the clip boys like written on the bottom, and uh, and we talked about it. And I just thought it was so cool that they had a seven inch that where the first song was "Gay Is Okay." that was so fucking cool yeah back then you didn't see that no and like all you know back then everyone said gay and not as like a known you know it was just you know everyone said fucking this is gay that's gay you're gay you know and um, especially in new england totally and um and i i just remember being touched by that like so yeah, that was, what was the cover of that seven inch? It was very iconic, and you saw it. It was just it black everywhere. and white, kind of Xeroxy art. What was the art? Like circle. The 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 lettering. It was like a really weird font, like almost yeah. like circus art or something. Yes. Like yeah, uh, yeah. It just had like serifs. And what was the image? I remember the Whipping Boy album cover. Oh yeah, for sure. well. Um. Yeah, man. The, should we go on for th- three more hours and? try to beat no, end on end i feel like um i could do this all night in the ballpark of hours but what, there's something i was just gonna ask oh I was everyone's like, waiting for me to eat dinner oh you are yeah okay that's a good reason to stop i'm actually getting hungry too um yeah it's like a peace symbol i'll put i'll, I'll check out the clip yeah the clip boys the peace symbol over the world it's really look at that oh yeah 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 yeah, and it was always like, "What is that? Like, what is the peace symbol made out of?" I found it kind yeah, of creepy yeah, like and alien. Like, is it like a like some sort of tenon, like tendon, or like yeah. a sinew? It has that, shadows. That's oh. a question you could look into too. Somebody's like knew somebody who drew well in art, art in art class. Okay. All right. Well, I think that was a good. Um, it was a good hour. Let's just wrap it up. You go have dinner. Okay. Love you. Love you.